0: to episode 41 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Casterapple, and with me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! Hey, hey, hey! What's up? Not much, man. How's it going? Not too bad. Just came back from Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, which was the team open uh, this past weekend, and it was a lot of fun. We Our team didn't make day two, but... Still, a uh, ton of really excellent people to hang out with, and um, a lot of good friends of mine did really well that weekend. So uh, definitely no complaints there. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely a it was a pretty fun tournament to watch. I mean, always the the new standard, which is what we're mostly gonna talk about today. But it's always <laughs> very interesting to see what people come up with in the new standard, and especially in in team tournaments, even late in the tournament. You might see some like pretty wild standard decks if uh, you know some like modern and legacy teammates have been pulling more than their weight. So that was fun. <laughs> right, 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 for sure. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely a pretty crazy tournament. Definitely have some some pretty crazy stories of of some things that happened. Ooh, yeah. Well, let's hear at least one or two then. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that took us out of the tournament was kind of a spectacular finish, I guess. Where, uh, so I was playing Mono Green Monument, so kind of like Turbo Galta kind of deal, Mm -hmm. and there are draws that allow me to cast Galta on turn three, so that's, like, really good. Yeah. So I'm playing against the Mono Red God Pharaoh's Gift deck, and he plays, so he's on the play for game three, he plays a Combat Celebrant on his turn three, I untap, and I play a Galta on my turn three, and I'm like, alright, he's Mono Red. He doesn't have any, like, answers to this Galta. I think this game is just going to be over. And I pass the turn to him. He untaps. He hijacks my Galta. Oh. So he threatens it, essentially, and attacks, exerts his <laughs> combat celebrant to attack again with the Galta for 28 damage, and I'm just dead on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that's a lot of damage. So yeah, that was uh, that was very unexpected, first of all, and um, uh, honestly, pretty sweet. So props to him for being able to pull off that maneuver. I had done something similar when I was testing the blue-red Godfrey Skiff deck, where I copied my opponent's Galta with a Vizier of Mini Faces, and then was able to exert to attack it with it twice. So that was pretty sweet. Yeah, not quite but, as sweet as, but yeah, but um, yeah, just kind of like hijacking my Galta and just like. You know, attacking for twenty eight, I was just immediately immediately dead, and I was yeah. like, "Oh, okay, well, <laughs> guess so." Guess we're done here, right? Right? Yeah, guess we're guess we're done here. But uh, my teammates were cool, and you know, just had a pretty pretty great weekend overall. Got to see a lot of friends. Opens are just great. I you know I know so many people now at these places. Shout outs to everybody who came up to me and told me that they enjoyed the podcast. I'm not going to remember all your names, but you guys are great. So yeah, just, you know, feeling good about things. Yeah, I really gotta get back and, and go to some opens. I, I'm very excited to to return to the US and and play magic with people that I know a little better than <laughs> although I mean I've made friends over here, but I, I definitely miss going to opens and I, I'm I'm excited to to get back to that. Yeah. Yeah. What's your timeline look like for that? Still a little long. We just started my second semester of teaching okay. here. Gotcha. Um so you know, I'll be back. Middle of September, probably. So, okay. Um, I mean, that's well, you cool. know four and a half, five months, something like that. Um, but we're very but excited we'll to have you back. Get get to record in person and all that. So yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Definitely don't want to miss shouting out uh, the uh, various like friends of the podcast or you know personal friends whatever who uh who top eighted this event like this was a sick top eight for for uh mtg grindcast friends (laughs) yes indeed um yeah shout outs to uh julian john and caleb share and paul uh, muller uh for their kind of crushing the swiss in the tournament and everything also shout outs to cat light and her team yeah, yeah, definitely. Shout out to to Catlight, one of our patrons and a, a a loyal and friendly and like helpful supporter in our Discord. So she's awesome. That was really cool to get to see her on camera a couple of times. Your your team played against her, right? Yeah, we needs. so we played against her in day one on camera. I think we were both five one at that point, and we kind of got crushed. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, definitely a deserved finals appearance for them. Well done. Uh, yeah. Also, Rio's team made top eight as well. Rio. Uh, Trevathan, Ben Reagan, and uh, Austin Collins, Team Short Stack, as we called them at the tournament. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I think they were trying to go by Team MTG Access, but I guess I guess you're not <laughs> not gonna let them get yeah, away with yeah. trying to do good in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they had a couple couple of different. Uh, I know Ben's on one team and Rio's on uh, MTG Access and everything. So. Um, oh yeah, I guess that's bundled true. Bundled it all up. <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah, but so that's cool. Definitely a lot of a lot of good people in this top eight. Yeah, for sure. Very for sure. cool to see. But today, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't just talk about Standard pretty much the whole time. Yeah. So honestly, you know, Standard hasn't seen a lot of limelight, I guess you would say, recently, just because it's been in a pretty bad spot for a minute. Mm-hmm. But honestly, with the release of Dominaria, it is just kind of a whole new world out there and looks to be pretty healthy right now. Um, there are definitely a few decks that I'm a little worried about becoming too much of the metagame, but, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how things shake out a little bit. And I think that part of that might just because that deck happened to be really good against the kind of like default decks that people were considering. But anyways, uh, yeah. yeah, super excited about Standard. Uh, I think it's in a pretty good spot, and um, yeah, definitely want to talk about it. Yeah, Dominaria has had a huge impact, like, you know, we were high on a lot of cards going in, and I I kept feeling like, god, all of these cards can't be good, can they? But a lot of them already are really good, so this set, uh, like, its, its impact on Standard really cannot be overstated. Lots of like some new decks, lots of slotting into older decks, and definitely a lot. The format is very, very shaken up right now. I mean, I guess we should just kind of go over, you know, the meta and probably want to at least start with like the biggest decks. And I think we should probably start with kind of the, I, I don't know if it's an elephant in the room or a, a shadow over the format right now. But I think it's pretty clear that at this, you know, week one and a half moment that uh, blue-white control is definitely like the scary threat in the format at the moment. Yeah, so blue-white control definitely benefited from a lot of, from from the way things kind of like panned out in like coming, coming up on week one. Generally in week one, everybody's kind of trying to play aggressive decks and uh, the aggressive decks aren't really as tuned to beat any sort of like control deck. Um, So we saw, like, a lot of, like, mono-green decks and mono-red decks and kind of, like, other variations of all of that that were kind of built to uh, just kind of, like, compete in a metagame of other, like, aggressive decks. So they, Mm -hmm. I think they were really lacking in, like, duress effects or, um, you know, just, like, kind of, like, answers to, to this control deck or whatever, and that really allowed this control deck to just kind of, like... Lean really, really heavily on settle the wreckage and fumigate to clear up the board states, and then easily take over the game from there. And I mean, not to you know, can't forget about just the the very high power level of the new cards that it got. Like Teferi is just such a powerful win condition, and has pretty much completely supplanted the Scarab God as like the premier controly five mana game ender. And uh, Sealaway is is maybe even more key to the deck. Like, it's just in that deck, it is the best two mana removal spell in the format. Like, it's just doing such a powerful thing for its two mana. It can get rid of almost any creature. And yeah, that's just very, very strong. So, the new cards definitely help, but it also was, I think, well positioned against uh, a lot of what people were doing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, we definitely saw that crushed over the weekend. There were two copies of the same 75 in the top eight of the team open. Uh, both mm-hmm. Austin Collins and Re ended up playing Rudy's Blue Eye Control deck, and you know that's pretty indicative of you know that deck having success over that weekend. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I I can also say that it's pretty much everywhere on Magic Online right now. Like each of my leagues, I play against it at least two or three times. So people are are de- and that's that's despite the pretty high price tag that a lot of these these new mythics. Um, and and Teferi and and Lyra Dawnbringer uh, are commanding right now, uh, Mm -hmm. and so that, that's how you know that it's, like, a pretty significant presence, I think. Yeah. And we should also definitely talk about Teferi himself. I think that he's definitely one of the primary reasons why this deck is having a lot of success is that, like, and, and another reason why people are moving away from blue-black control into Mm blue-white control is because you get to play Teferi, and Teferi is pretty bonkers i think <laughs> um, it just kind of does everything that you want him to do in this kind of control shell you can play the on a board state with one threat and get rid of it put it back you know three down on your opponent's deck uh or you can just kind of like if you have a chance to play it on an empty board state you can you can play out the Ferry. you can plus you can draw another card and then you can untap two lands to be able to potentially hold up another counter spell for your opponent's next play and that play pattern's just gross. So if you're yeah. like able to trade kind of one for one in the early turns and then you can get to turn 5 or 6 and slam to ferry and untap your lands and continue to trade resources uh, and you're drawing two cards a turn now, it's it's pretty it's pretty gross. Um, yeah. And Teferi's plus is even like tempo positive, right? You can like cycle a land on your turn and then untap those lands. You can like you know do a bunch of stuff you can like glimmer like for two less mana uh, if you want to do it on your turn you just kind of get a lot of value out of what he's doing he can also untap your your flipped ascanta if that's something that, that right you can activate I... your ascanta twice in a turn cycle it's crazy for sure that's a little win more but it, it i've seen it happen <laughs> yeah yeah so definitely a very powerful card there and another card to kind of like keep an eye on for the kind of the duration of the format. What's really interesting though is that, you know, that's the main deck card. It's definitely like the headliner. But I, I think the card that might actually be the problem out of Blue White right now is the Lyra Dawnbringers out of the sideboard. Yeah, so I played Mono Green this past weekend and I actually knew about this Blue White Control deck going into the weekend and I ended up sideboarding blue cards like splashing blue with the mana base and sideboarding like four spell pierces and two negates as kind of like a hedge against fumigate and settle the wreckage but the one card that i knew that i could just never beat if they resolved and i couldn't attack through it is lyra Dawnbringer. like you know i i have the blue like you know kind of counter spells or whatever but they only hit spells and the lyras out of the sideboard from the blue white control deck were just devastating and just like not something that you could easily attack around or anything Yeah, and I mean, the deck that traditionally, you know, would be quite good against this sort of blue-white deck with, like, kind of expensive removal and using a Planeswalker to win the game, you know, Mono Red, while I think it still has an okay matchup against blue-white, you know, if they just, in their sideboarded games, they have some early removal and drop a Lyra Dombringer, like, a lot of times you just can't beat that, and the only way you can is to be running, you know, cards that you might not really want in your deck against blue-white, like Fight With Fire, so that's... That may be sort of the the thing that makes this deck pretty hard to contain. Is if the the all the natural strategies that should beat blue white have a really rough time with Lyra Dawnbringer, then it shores up a lot of weaknesses in a pretty gross way. Yeah, I think that kind of Lyra is going to be one of those format warping cards where everybody is going to be kind of f- cornered into playing some sort of answer to it. So instead mm-hmm. of a lot of mono red, we're probably going to see a lot more red splash black for unlicensed disintegration just like as a, a kind of like a catch-all destroy target creature um yeah. instead of like you know leaning on uh damage based removal so yeah I, you know ev- everybody is going to need some form of answer for that card i think that um honestly if you were going to be playing mono green you're probably going to want to find some number of like plummets in your sideboard as awkward as that sounds, but it's just you know, it's just kind of like the best green card that answers Lyra. You might want to look at crushing canopy, because that can kill Lyra and it can also get get your guy out from under a seal away or a cast out, Ooh. so it's a little more flexibility. You know what, that's actually super, super good idea for sure. And it's an instant, so you can actually cast it against them. So yeah, I, I I've definitely I, I haven't played it myself, but I've I've seen some people running it and it seems it seems strong. Yeah. But it's, yeah, so Lyra is just kind of one of those cards that you need to have an answer for. But to be fair, uh, looking at things from the Lyra perspective, uh, I've definitely been jamming a few kind of like mid-range decks recently that play Lyra and everything. Are these like the the green-white kind of mid-range decks? Yeah, like the green-white mid-range decks. And I'm I'm kind of floating around the idea of playing some Bant mid-range deck. I think that the Bant color combinations just kind of like have access to a ton of things that are really, really good. But Lyra, one thing I've experienced is that if, you, if you're if you casting Lyra, and you're kind of like leaning on it heavily to stabilize your board state, and then your opponent just like untaps and frasks, contempts it, or unlicensed disintegrates it, or kind of whatever answer that they have for it, it can be pretty bad for you. So Lyra does have the downside of just being like a big thing that doesn't impact the board immediately, which is something that, you know, in standard we kind of a lot of the things in standard right now have been either like super resilient threats, like the indestructibility on like Hazaret or Phoenix coming back, or they just kind of like do something immediately when they come into play. Like Glorybringer exerts and kills a creature, or Torrential Gear Hulk can cast a spell immediately. All of these, like, big, like, high-value threats kind of, like, have immediate impact on the board state. But Lyra doesn't do that. Lyra is just a big thing that needs to be able to stick around to, in, in order for you to get value out of it. So Lyra is makes you more susceptible to uh, your opponent having removal spells. So I think that we... And you and I talked about this earlier, Chris, is that, like, in previous formats of Standard, we didn't want to be playing any removal spells. We just wanted to be, like, either proactive in our game plan or, you know, whatever. But I think that we're definitely moving back to a point where you need to make sure that you have answers for your opponent's cards, and you're going to be more rewarded now for having those answers than you would be in the past, just because yeah. it's such a good tempo advantage to be able to kill your opponent's big, big threat and then not getting any value out of it. Oh, definitely. And that's that's one of the reasons why, like, I'm much more scared of Lyra out of blue-white in, in sideboarded games, then I am of Lyra's uh, like against the the green white mid range decks because you know I've been playing like that mid range snake deck. So the way the snake decks are looking now is much more of a mid rangey build rather than a Hadana's climb build. You're straight green black and you're running like four ravenous chupacabras. So Lyra out of the mid range decks is not that bad because you're running a lot of removal in those chupacabras and casting a chupacabra to kill a Lyra is one of the more satisfying things you can possibly do. <laughs> the, yes. the problem For is sure. that against against the blue-white deck, you can't have those in your deck anymore. Like, even though you know they're going to bring in three Lyras or something like that, like, that's the only thing you can get with your Chupacabras. So that's just, like, it it messes up your aggressive draws by getting them stuck in your hand, it just doesn't really work out. So yeah, Lyra in general I think is totally a fine card. It's just out of the sideboard of blue-white, it can be very, very difficult to deal with because the answers to Lyra aren't good against the other 72 cards in their deck a lot of the time. And I think one of the keys is finding those answers to Lyra that are also good against the rest of their deck. So cards like Crushing Canopy I think are good, and Doomfall is one that I'm a huge proponent of and, and cannot sing the praises of more right now. Yeah, Doomfall. Doomfall is definitely super strong. It feels like just kind of like has the ability to, you know, kill their Lyra or dress their hand and take away their Fumigate, or you know, it just kind of like does everything that you want it to yeah, in that matchup. It it, like. it lets you attack instead of just being terrified of getting settled because you can't win if they have settled. Like it it does a right, lot. Right. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, the general point is just, like, the meta will adapt to those sideboarded Lyra's. It's just going to be some weird stuff. And I don't know that, like, keeping it, bringing in a couple of Fight with Fire's is really... You know, I know we talked about it as, like, in our set review. We talked about Fight with Fire. Like, this card will see play to kill Lyra Dawnringer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's great in that role versus, like, Green-White. I think it's not a card that you're very excited to be bringing in against Blue-White. It might be a total necessary evil, but in general, I, I think the more successful aggressive decks are going to be the ones that can bring in answers to Lyra that are actually good against the rest of the deck, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. So what do you think of mono green right now? Probably not super playable in, in a format with... And, and, and I, I don't think that Blue-White is, like, you know, it's not 40% of the meta or anything, and it's not super oppressive yet. But there is a fair amount of it, and you have to beat it in, in order to consider your deck the... I think I, I don't want to play a deck that doesn't have a reasonable matchup against it, so you know what do we think of green uh, of mono green after this past weekend? Um, I think that you can definitely tune your deck to have good game against these blue white decks. Mm-hmm. I think crushing Canopy is probably an excellent idea. Um, I you you are going to need to splash either blue or black for either counterspells or kind of like you know the the doomfalls and duresses. And if you do that, then, you know, you're you're just another, like, uh, aggressive deck with disruption, which is generally good against controlled decks. So I think yeah. that's fine. So I, I definitely don't think that's dead. And we did see Monogreen have success in the online PTQ this, you know, this past weekend. There were two Monogreen yeah. decks that made top eight of the uh, the standard PTQ, which is, you know, it's definitely a notable finish. And I think that they both went 8-0 in the, in the Swiss. So that's pretty good. But... You know, you. I think that you're going to need to strain your deck a little bit to be able to beat these control decks pretty heavily, which is not not exactly where you want to be, but could just potentially be what, you, what we're going to have to do in this format. So, I you know I wouldn't count out mono green, but I'm I'm definitely currently looking into some other options that I like. Uh, I think that white is probably a color that is has a lot of things going for it right now. It has access to Lyra. It has access to you know, kind of like depending on where you want to fall, like History banalia. you have uh, some really good Planeswalkers if you're splashing another color. So, you know, I, I definitely want to explore some other options there. But I think the biggest question is that, you know, where on the like aggro control mid-range spectrum we want to fall is like another like decent consideration. I think that the mid-range decks are kind of like usually the decks that come up later in a metagame's evolution because the mid-range decks really, really need to make sure that they're tuned to be able to beat both the aggro decks of the format and the control decks of the format, and that's kind of just harder to do initially. So I think I I would not be surprised because we have so many really, really strong mid-range threats uh, to see some sort of, like, mid-range deck either, like, Bant colors or maybe black, green, X colors to be able to pop up later, I think could be, you know, and how we're going to tune those is still, you know, I'm still working on that, but... Right. Um Yeah, and kind of the the two places where they're standing right now, because mid-range decks, yeah, I, I don't think that they're tweaked to where they, they need to be to be the best possible deck for the meta yet, but right now, both green, white mid-range and green, black mid-range have been having a reasonable amount of success. I think there were uh there's at least one were there two in the top eight of the PTQ? well there were there are two green white mid-ranges mid-range decks in the the seven and one lists in the ptq and these are see and i don't know if it's really fair to call these mid-range like that's what they're being classified as but they're almost aggro decks just because they're all creatures there's a couple of removal <laughs> spells and and some yeah, Karns. Yeah. Like, I guess they've got treasure maps in them, which makes them pretty mid rangey. but are you really a mid-range deck with four removal spells in your deck? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's tough to say. But Karn is another one of those cards that I think is almost being a little overlooked at how popular he's been this previous mm-hmm. week. You know, and Karn kind of, like, makes these decks mid-range decks almost, because mm-hmm. Karn, you can play Karn in, like, a vehicle artifact heavy like red black aggressive deck we saw julian john play four karns i think in his in his like vehicles deck and karn goes really really well in that deck because the creatures that you're making are like three threes or four fours which is really good yeah also not to mention the uh, heart of kieran synergy with your your sixth loyalty planeswalker is quite good yeah yeah jj was talking about this before the weekend he was like have you ever curved heart of kieran into uh Aether <laughs> sphere harvester into karn attack for seven <laughs> and they just <laughs> like whoa okay yeah it's uh it's pretty strong so yeah i think karn definitely has a lot of things going for it and there are a couple of different karn shells that you can play it in you can play karn in just like a mid-range deck for just like a high loyalty value planeswalker or you can play it in like an artifact aggressive deck to be able to like you know crew vehicles and all this stuff so uh yeah i think that yeah a lot of a lot of room for figuring things out there for sure, I'm I'm definitely a fan of the aggressive vehicle deck, and there's a lot. Man, I I was trying to scroll through the you know the 5-0 lists. There are so many right now. Oh my god! Like yeah. it just took me forever to get through the list. I guess just so many people are playing this set right now. But there's just so many, and so there's so many different ways to build like an aggressive red deck. Like there were like like 12 different ones on there. Um, just like with varying amounts of like different colors and how artifact heavy they were and if they were running Karn or not um but I do like these like aggressive red decks with vehicles and Karn um I probably would lean more towards like inventor's apprentice builds than toolcraft exemplar builds because there are so many walking blisters running around which is probably something we should talk about is Just the absolute omnipresence of Walking Ballista in this format right now. Yeah, Walking Ballista is just one of those cards that is just, it's just really strong, kind of like, you know, early game to like take out a Lana War Elf, you know, if you're on the play, it's really good, but also just like late game that you can play it for a lot and have it trade profitably for stuff. This is a really flexible, strong card. And um, I, I think that because of that, a lot of people are just, you know, trying to slot some number in to kind of whatever deck they're playing. I mean, in these artifact decks, it's great because it's an artifact creature and burn and and fills your curve wherever you need it to, so it's great. But, it, you know, most of the mid-range decks are running it too, um, and I think it's just very useful. There's a quite a few one-toughness creatures in the format right now between Llanowar Elves and Branchwalker and all the mono-red creatures, obviously. So it does a lot of work there while also being a card that you're happy to draw against blue-white. Like, it's very threatening as a solo threat. You can just keep pumping mana into it. They have to deal with it eventually. So, Walking Ballista, definitely very, very powerful right now. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those cards that's just kind of, for its existence in Standard, I think it's just always going to be present to a certain extent. Just because of yeah. the, you know, general you know <laughs> utility of it is is pretty high. It, it's one of the reasons that I'm still trying to make Snake work, even though, you know, if, if blue-white ends up with as much of the metagame share as I'm like, kind of afraid that it might, then it's not a good idea. But the combination of having ravenous Chupacabras, which is great against all the, you know, any white deck that's not blue, white, any green deck, um, and having kind of the best walking blisters going, like makes it quite strong in a lot of the, the mid range matchups. So I, I am enjoying that just trying to nail down exactly what the plan is for all the different matchups. Um, but you know, it it is kind of a medium deck. It's like very much the definition of a mid range deck right now. Although you can have some broken draws with walking with a Winding Constrictor, but you know the the high power level of your your Walking Ballistas is, is is one of the major reasons that I've been enjoying playing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, that card has always been kind of best friends with Winding Constrictor, so. Um, <laughs> you know that's that's definitely pretty strong on its own. Yeah, I mean, and if you can all of a sudden if you can throw like a uh, trenchal gearhawk in or no, not trenchal, verdant gearhawk, the green gear right. hulk in there as well. You know, gear hulk. Y- now we're it's, really It's the one with and, the made up name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the the green one. But then, you know, you just kind of like have a lot of synergies in that deck which is pretty strong. Uh the problem is I'm just concerned about that deck's chances against the blue white control decks because if you're yeah, playing like definitely. a creature based synergy deck, they're going to be able to disrupt that pretty easily. It feels like, yeah, I have been kind of splitting matches with blue white, and, and now that I have a, a large number of Doomfalls in there and I'm running Thrashing Brontodons in the main deck, it feels better but yeah. yeah it definitely that's one of the matchups that the sort of sort of the whole time you're playing you're kind of living in fear because a lot of the things <laughs> they can do to you are just really bad yeah, yeah so for sure yeah it's like please don't draw fumigate off the top i can't win <laughs> i i played against one guy where i dressed him he untapped he typed i'm sorry into chat and then <laughs> i just that i lost <laughs> yep had it it's it's the duress that really makes those really brutal like you know you you i knew like i'm gonna play this i'm gonna commit an extra creature to the board because i'll have lethal next turn through the through the removal spell that's left in his hand as long as he doesn't draw fumigate then i'm fine and then you know it just happened so yeah yeah, it's tough you can't you can't duress the top of the card of their deck and uh sometimes the top card of their deck is really good Actually, oh, the the brutal, the most brutal part of that story... <laughs> oh, sorry, this is a stupid story. Okay, no, um, The most brutal part of that story was that he tried to cast Hieroglyphic Illumination in response to my duress. Because I would have taken it with the duress, so it was better to at least draw cards with it. But he accidentally cycled it, so he only drew one card. Whoops. Which was meaningless. Like, it, it wasn't a card that I cared about. He untapped, and the second card he would have drawn off the Hieroglyphic Illumination was Fumigate. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's some daggers right there. Yeah. Hashtag rewarded? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> right, so I guess the the one thing I do want to say is that all of these settle Fumigate decks, I think are going to have a pretty large target on their back going into this next weekend. Um, I think that a lot of people are going to be prepared with, like you're saying, with a bunch of like duress effects or... Counterspells spells or kind of like whatever out of these mid-range decks so mm-hmm. i you know i kind of like playing a, a a bit more flexible game plan at the moment and this might just be my bias against control decks coming out a little bit but uh mm-hmm. i honestly think that they're gonna be uh their backs gonna be a little more against the wall if you know people start really really digging into ways to beat these decks yeah I think you're right when you're talking about like the that that it's really the duresses and stuff. It's the sideboard options that are going to to really make the difference. I don't know that you need to shift and find a deck that has a great main deck matchup against Blue Eye Control. I think just I would predict that the metagame adjusts by people dedicating, you know solid sideboard plans and they have a couple of slots that are there just for blue-white and they have some overlapping cards that are good against blue-white and other things so they're often bringing in six or seven cards and if like everybody's doing that that's a really tough spot to be in for the blue-white deck and i think that's that's probably how the the deck is kept under control i agree yeah um which is which is definitely why i'm looking for kind of like some other angles to attack things at Things that we're liking right now are kind of like these uh, these like Karn aggro decks with like a bunch of vehicles and everything, but yeah, yeah, just kind of like exploring more of the color pie. Like the the second place deck from the the PTQ, we thought was pretty strong. It's like the kind of like a knights deck, but a little less all in on that. I I guess you would say it's like this white black vehicles deck with four knight of malice. So this yeah this is the... yeah the bad night the night that we gave the lower grade to but right but obviously <laughs> yeah. much better against blue white control than the one with hexproof from black so right yeah so hexproof from white is a huge uh, has has a lot of really good implications right now especially against the control decks of the format because the you know as long as they're playing blue white all of their removal spells are going to be white and if you have hexproof from white then you just have you know you are just pro all of that other stuff. And you know you're playing him in this white black deck, which is you know exactly what he wants because he's gonna have plus one plus zero, as long as any player controls a white permanent. And so if you have like a Toolcraft Exemplar or a Lyra or even like um, History of Benalia out, um, he's gonna be a three two first strike, which is a, a pretty decent body for sure. And- yeah, this this deck is sweet, but it definitely I, I think. The numbers are not quite right on it yet. They don't look like where you you probably end up after after this deck is uh, really tuned. Yeah, the numbers are definitely a little wonky. Like one Gideon, two Karn, two Fatal Push, two Walking yeah. Ballista. Yeah, it seems like y- there's definitely a, a lot of room to tune here. Mm-hmm. But it kind of you know the, this color combination has a lot of really good answers for kind of what we're looking for, right? Definitely, it has the the dresses, the Doomfalls. You even have this, like, you know, you can you can bring in your own settles and fumigates out of your sideboard if you're, you know, playing a bunch of uh, Planeswalkers and vehicles and stuff. Right. That's a really good point because originally, Edition 1 Mardu Vehicles, its normal sideboard plan was to go really big after, after sideboarding. Like, because it had Gideon's, it could bring in, it could just go lots of Planeswalkers and lots of fumigates, and that could be its plan. We kind of lost that. When there was no no Gideon to rely on anymore, but if Karn can fill that spot, then decks like this that are you know sort of spiritual successors to Marty Vehicles could potentially take take that same plan and, and run with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Vehicles is definitely the like kind of the most recent deck that utilized that plan to s- so much success. But that you know that transformational sideboard plan uh, is something that has existed in Standard for a long time and oh, kind sure. of showing up in different forms. And has kind of like always been pretty pretty powerful. Um, if you can, uh, especially if your opponent is not expecting it, you can you can really you know lean on that to to give yourself a huge percentage advantage in postboard games. If your opponent like wasn't prepared and is still like bringing a bunch of like fatal pushes and cards that are going to be dead against your postboard configuration. Yeah, I mean I I definitely like that a lot. And this white black deck is definitely something that can. Uh, utilize that going forward. Yeah. Oh, and uh to uh to get back to what you were saying with that that hexproof from white, um I think we're seeing a lot of that as well with uh Shauna sese's legacy, the green white legend. Yes. Yeah, Shauna also dodges. Yeah. A- a- and the the play pattern that I've seen out of it that's that's really compelling is that, you know, a lot of times you have a couple of creatures in play and you have a choice. Do I attack with just one creature but then i don't do any damage if they have a a one for one removal spell or do i attack with multiple creatures and get blown out by settle the wreckage but if you have one creature that can't be targeted by their one for one removal spell then you're sort of forcing them to take the damage or use that settle the wreckage, and that's that gives you a lot more options. And I think that's one of the main reasons that Sisei's Legacy is being used in these like more mid rangey decks that aren't even like super go wide. It's just very powerful against that those removal spells. Yeah, I I think you have an excellent point there for sure. And I think that the Knight of Malice is going to be having similar utility there as well in in that matchup yeah. where you can just you know chip in for three. Uh, every turn with your nine of malice until your opponent has to pull the trigger on one of their sweeper effects so definitely seems pretty strong there yeah yeah definitely so we should probably talk about sort of the the place of red decks right now you know we talked about like the vehicle heavy ones but just red in general is an incredibly difficult puzzle to solve at the moment and we'll probably settle down a little more as the as the meta plays out but that sort of like balance between like do i want to be very heavy on red and running chain whirlers in order to be stronger in the aggressive mirrors or do i want to add another color or do i want to be really artifact heavy i don't know if you have any thoughts on like which direction you would want to go on on a mono red deck or on a you know red very aggressive deck right now on the bow courier decks of the world yeah Strict mono-red is definitely kind of in, a, in an interesting spot right now just because there's so many ways to build just mono-red that it's kind of tough to figure out which of those strategies are going to be most applicable in in whatever format we're playing in right now. So you can either mm-hmm. like go super low to the ground with four Hazarets and a bunch of one and two drops a couple of three drops and burn spells or you can even just like go a little bigger with you know i've seen like maybe like one or two hazarets with four rekindling phoenix and four glory bringers as well as like another like big red strategy uh and then there's just kind of like everything on the spectrum in between those two options right you can kind of like tune and hedge a little bit um Maybe you want, like, four phoenixes and two glory bringers, or maybe you want all of those effects in your sideboard. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's, it's one of those things that's going to take a long time for people to figure out, okay, what is attacking the metagame the best right now? And what makes that even more difficult is the fact that Standard right now is still evolving and adapting and changing, and, you know, so it's not like we've settled down on a particular spot that they're going to be able to attack the, the format's still evolving, you know, we saw the control decks do really well last weekend. I expect to see a shift moving into this next weekend, uh, when people start attacking these control decks a lot. Um, and all that really makes it difficult for, you know, finding where on the spectrum you want to be. Yeah. But honestly, I think that the best red decks that I've seen so far have been splashing another color like black or something and then been a little more artifact heavy because I think that Karn is definitely something that is something you want to be playing right now in aggressive decks strangely enough (laughs) uh and then you're more incentivized (laughs) to play vehicles and then the deck kind of evolves from there yeah and one of the one of the big things is that in the sort of standard super low to the ground mono red deck that you might be encouraged to play because of Goblin Chain Whirler um, you know, Hazaret is not quite as sturdy a threat as he has been at other times in Standard. Um, so I think you, you're you kind of searching around for other payoffs for your aggressive starts, and Hazaret is... Because if, if, if the most played deck in the format just plays a two-mana removal spell that kills it, you know, that's not that exciting anymore. Right, right. Um, and I've definitely seen Karn be just a very, very scary, difficult-to-deal-with threat against against so like blue white if you're you're stretching their cast outs pretty thin at at some point and that that can be a really good thing to do between like phoenix and and karn or or artifact threats and karn something like that so yeah right yeah and i think just in general vehicles are really good against the um the control deck because they're they don't get hit by fumigate mm-hmm. and you can play around settle with them appropriately. right they naturally so play around settle yeah yeah, they just kind of naturally play around your opponent's sweeper effects, which is nice, right? Um, and probably something really key. And I think Cardicurin on, on its own is one of the best cards that you can have against that deck, just because can't hit it with uh, cast down. So kind of like your only outs to it are a settle the wreckage or like a, an actual cast out. So can be yeah. can be interesting there. Yeah, yeah, it that the that's the really cool thing about Heart right now and and one of the reasons that I think it's coming back into the meta so so powerfully is yeah, it it neither gets hit by seal away from the white decks and it doesn't get hit by cast down out of the like mid-rangey black decks either. So it's just immune to a lot of removal and we have, you know, fewer fatal pushes than we've seen in standard in a very long time. And and also, you know, if the presence of Lyra Donbrayer pushes Red down a little bit, so we have fewer Abrades. All of a sudden, like there is not much removal that hits Heart of Kieran, and pretty much nothing that hits it at a mana advantage or parity. So that's that That puts it in a really good spot. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We should probably mention that Llanowar Elves is everywhere right now. <laughs> um, I think there were 20 in this PTQ Top 8, and I mean, you know, just all the green decks are adopting them and stuff like constrictor the the deck list tends to to be changing in order to fit elves into the deck instead of servant of the conduit and yeah so it like it's a lanowar elves format you got to keep up and walking Blist is a way that a lot of people are doing that you know i think i've seen some fungal infection which is just a totally fine card but yeah lanowar elves is here and it's not joking around yeah um but the 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 warning I would give with Llanowar Elves is you need to make sure that your mana base can support playing it on turn one. Um, I think that there are yep. a lot of color combinations where that's pretty easy. Uh, specifically, the the enemy colors, uh, like green-black mm-hmm. is one. Um, if you have a green fast land, then you're much more likely to be able to uh, support a Llanowar Elf. Than like the green white decks for example they definitely struggle to get the certain number of turn one green sources because uh their dual lands are all gonna be coming into play uh, tapped on turn one um, right. right which is pretty pretty awkward for that so if you have the fast lands then you know I think that you know and like you can even create a three color mana base with enough turn one green sources as long as it's like green like I, I think Sultai can can support that pretty well because you have all of those fast lands and everything so but it's just yeah. kind of like an interesting thing to keep an eye out for and I think that a lot of people might fall under the trap of kind of just jamming Llanowar Elf into their green deck because it's Llanowar Elf and a green deck but when they actually took it, like, their mana base they might only have like seven turn one green sources and then your Llanowar Elf you know you might as well just not play it It'll be good, like, the few times that you can cast it on turn one, but it's going to be a liability more often than not. And I think that because of that, we've seen a lot of green decks as well just kind of, like, forego Land or Elf, strangely enough, uh, just because they, they recognize that their mana base can't support it as well. Yeah, and I think you really got to be paying attention to your curve and what exactly you want in a man- mana accelerant, if you want a mana accelerant at all. I, I think the allied colored decks... That are going to be most successful with Llanowar Elves are going to tend to be okay with a turn two Llanowar Elves. Uh, sure, you know sure. the the three drops that we have right now are not the most game breaking things in the world. Like we, if we still had, uh, like like three mana Nissa or something like that. Nissa, if we had Nissa voices of Zendikar, or if we had like. I don't know, like tireless trackers or something like that. If we had those cards, then I think it would be of utmost importance to construct your deck so to give you the highest chance of casting elves on turn one so that you can just have a broken turn two. But, you know, the, the threes that are in people's decks right now are a lot of times stuff like uh, Thrashing Brontadon or Rishgar or something like like fine cards, but it's not imperative to get them down as early as possible, and they may not even be that great on turn two. So uh, I think a lot of these decks are kind of constructed with that weakness, or at least should be constructed with that weakness in mind. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of like something to be aware of, and not something that a definitely overlook. Because I think it would be pretty easy to overlook something like that right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it it it's it is very easy to just be like, well, it's green. Let's put these line of elves in. And I think the decision is is definitely harder than that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but essentially my plan for the next couple of weeks is to, or I guess the next couple of days and this week more accurately, <laughs> is to uh, tinker around with a couple of mid-range builds, see if I can tune it well to be able to beat just kind of like what we've seen so far in the metagame, um, like the control decks and everything, because I, I do think it is possible and I don't think that the control deck is going to be the, in, you know, the, the, the default deck of standard, for forever. I think it'll be a, a, a definitely a, a big part of standard but I I don't really expect this format to get taken over by one strategy per se. Yeah, I don't think so either. I know you know like the the Brad Nelson philosophy for building mid-range decks for a standard that you're figuring out is like target them towards the other creature decks like play the mid-range deck that can beat as many creature decks as you possibly can. And then have a really, really good sideboard plan for the control decks, um, and I think yeah that we're in a metagame where that makes a lot of sense to try to do right now. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's kind of the goal for for, for my week is to try to figure out something along those lines, and uh, you know see if I can see if I can land on something there, because uh, uh, you know I I really like the band colors right now specifically. And just kind of, like, that strategy of, like, you know, mid-range deck that cyborgs into uh, something that beats Control is something that fits really well with my playstyle. So I'm pretty excited to give that a good shot. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that there aren't really any ramp decks right now. I mean, it's it's tough when, like, not only does blue-white have access to a lot of counterspells and the creature decks are really trying to run you over um so there are two fundamentally different axes you're trying to fight on when you're you're trying to build a ramp deck but you don't have a good way of going over the top of the the blue decks right now you know like the the thing that like should be great is you know if i resolve this hour of promise then i get this arch of arrasca in play and i can just outcard them but the control decks all just have a bunch of field of ruins in them and you can never beat them with arch of arrasca so <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the solution is if you want to ramp your mana right now, and I think uh, just that balance between like, because I, I I think if you if you want to play a ramp deck right now, you probably need to be like a fumigate deck, and it's tough to make that work and also like have a plan against the the control decks and. Ramp is only really good when you are beating the control decks because you're bigger than them, and that's that's just not a place where we are right now. We don't have the payoffs. We don't have Ulamog or anything like that. Right, right. Yeah, no like huge finishers that are just going to end the game on the spot um, and are resilient to like counterspells and everything. Yeah, yeah. So kind of disappointing that we don't have that access of the metagame because a bunch of the tools are there, but the, the, the rewards just just yeah. don't exist yet. But to be fair, one of the cards that I actually like a lot right now is the Bestiary. Yeah. The, I'm struggling to remember the full name for it. Uh, Lifecrafter's Bestiary. Lifecrafter's Bestiary. It's just kind of like works really well with Llanowar Elves in the sense that you can cast it on turn two and, you know, a top deck Llanowar Elf later can still cantrip you. So I think that that's, you know, and like it scries you every turn, that's just a lot of advantage that can make your deck really resilient to the control deck as well. So I think that I'd be interested to see, like, you know, if you're if you're really trying to hone in on a really good sideboard plan for that matchup, uh, a bunch of Beastieri seems like a, a pretty good place to start in some sort of creature deck. Yeah, yeah, I've been pretty happy with them too. I mean, one one thing to note is that it's not quite as you know, back when I they were like in the sideboard of Teamer Energy, and you played against like blue-black control. And then you just resolved a bestiary. You just couldn't lose because they couldn't take it off the battlefield. You were going to draw eight cards with it. And unless they just like managed to just like panic, put down a scarab God and beat you with that, like you just (laughs) could not lose. It's not quite the same against blue white because they do have uh, cast outs. And uh, Teferi also just deals with any permanent and they, they tend to have a couple of commits or something. So you need to be aware of like, you're, you need to be understanding of how to get the most advantage out of this bestiary and you know your scribes have to take into account the fact that you could lose your bestiary at any time and, and that's definitely something to be aware of but i do think it is a really good card right right for sure uh main deck thrashing brontodon's really good right now they're just gonna find a target against everybody um and sometimes uh uh, I think it's it's really important to sort of understand the play pattern with them against Blue Eye Control. Like, it's not complicated. It's just don't play it until they have an enchantment in play that you would like to remove. And then force the removal spell on the Brontodon so you can two-for-one them. And that can be a pretty, pretty back-breaking exchange. Um, but I in, in several different green decks, I've been pretty happy with main deck Brontodon. Just because everybody has targets for them right now. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, Bronodon is one of the another one of the cards that I've been pretty excited about. Just the utility that exists there is pretty strong, which I like. Yeah, and pretty resilient to removal and stuff. It's just a a very strong creature right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like having it sit and play with a mana open, and just like kind of beating down your opponent a little bit, and then like mm-hmm. okay, they have to remove yeah. it, and then you can you know blow up their thing or whatever. So, um, yep, it can be it can be good for sure. Yep. Also, just, like, game one, if you keep one in play, you can't lose against Gift. That's pretty nice. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Yeah, any game one answers to Gift are a pretty big game, I think, in my opinion. I I guess we can spend, like, two minutes talking about Gift, right? Because we shouldn't ignore that this deck totally still exists, and maybe not as popular as it was, but there's, like, several different builds, and they all... I, I think I've lost to multiple of them, in, in leagues so deck is still yeah. pretty real yeah so kind of like the one deck that um i've seen a lot of lately is this mono red gift deck and they're they're playing like routed crews and siege gang commanders and like goblin chain whirlers as just kind of like pretty decent like you know main deck like beat down creatures because i think that honestly mm-hmm. their their game one plan is just to beat down pretty strongly and you know, then like creatures are just gonna hit the battle the the graveyard uh, organically, and then you can you know cast your gate and pop it and really take over the game from there. But uh, but yeah, the the blue red mono red or sorry the blue red uh, gift decks are uh, also still a decent part of the metagame. I think mm-hmm. the uh, just kind of like the same deck that we saw really dominate Grand Prix Seattle. Uh, is you know it's still really really strong and has a really really good proactive game plan of comboing your opponent out with combat celebrant so um definitely not something you want to overlook there yeah definitely i think the deck might lose a little bit due to the just like massive omnipresence of walking ballista it's like plan yeah. b of beating down with like mopey creatures and war kite marauder like warquake marauder into and then your opponent just pays four mana for a walking ballista is like real real bad i mean you have your own ballistas but it's it's the the deck is not strong against walking Ballista. um like I, ideas that that have seemed really cool to me out of like the mono red deck would be to take most of that that mono red deck like i think skirt prospector has been a huge addition like you were spot on uh calling that one it, it's a, a a great addition <laughs> to the deck yeah. And uh, so that, that's really cool. I'm wondering if uh, like almost mono red one that is just has dual lands for for blue, like maybe just for Champion of Wits or Trophy Mage, whichever one ends up being better. So you get a little more consistency yeah, uh, yeah. Of, of getting that gate. And you probably also want to run like Wily Goblin or something like that. And, you know, that if you've already got Skirk Prospector and Siege Gang Commander, then I think Wily Goblin is is not terrible. But yeah, the way the way the mono red deck is built right now, it's definitely sort of swapped its A and B plan. Like Blue Blue Red has the B plan of killing you with Warkite Marauder and, and Walking Ballista and One Power Guys. Um, but the the mono red version definitely like it. it it's trying to attack you first and then if you stall it out it's gonna end up putting a god gift in play but it has no card selection or anything the only like it has to naturally draw a, a gate to the afterlife which is is not super reliable right right yeah but it also doesn't you know it doesn't really mind just kind of like having that be another sub element of the deck instead of the primary game plan Right, right. It's, it's a feeling really similar to, like, when Mono Red gets you down to three. Like, you're going to die, they're going to draw the cards that kill you. It's, like, unless you kill them back right now. And same thing against that deck. Like, you stall out their aggro, and then you need to kill them, or they're going to draw Gate to the Afterlife and kill you right back. Right, right, for sure. Um, and their deck just, like, has a really, really good way of stalling a board state just with so many like goblins and all this other stuff yeah so definitely um it's pretty good there yeah for sure all right is there anything that we we missed let me see we uh i think we talked about most of most the everything. stuff like all the stuff that i wrote down um except for like a couple of random like crazy 5-0 decks um, <laughs> but we don't really need to um oh, i should i should mention the the mardu control deck that I played against that had Squee and Gonti. Squee? And it used those so that it could cast legendary sorceries. Oh, I see. Okay. Just like, you're always gonna have something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you always have a thing, and then you cast Urza's Ruinous Blast, and you keep your thing, and they lose theirs. Urza's Ruinous Blast does not seem great in a format where the mid-range decks are running like Shauna and Shalai and, uh, Rishkar and... Uh, yeah, yeah. Lyra Dawnbringer, though, so... <laughs> yeah, I definitely played against a guy who felt like he was playing, I think it was Abzan, like, legendaries, and he had the Ruinous Blast as kind of, like, one of his payoffs. But I just landed a Galta, yeah. and, and then he, like, you know, his, his like, three legendaries or whatever that he had out just couldn't really compete on their own against Galta, so we couldn't really afford to cast this Ruinous Blast. Um, <laughs> I think that a similar scenario is probably going to happen more often than not. Just in the fact that your opponents just gonna have incidental legendaries floating around. Yeah, and that's funny that that's really the thing that's probably making that card unplayable. because if it was like you know, if the text was different, like like you get to keep your legend, but you're gonna kill all the other permanents. Like it might actually just be a good card right now, but it's not gonna work. Like if you can't kill Lyra or whatever, there's lots of good legends running around, so it's just not not the wrath that you want yeah for sure for sure but yeah i mean that's that's standard right now i think we talked about most of the stuff that i wanted to hit on pretty much blue white have a good sideboard against it walking ballista is everywhere there's lots of lenore elves cards that i'm a huge fan of right now are thrashing brontodon doomfall crushing canopy like the kinds of cards that you can bring in against blue white to solve certain problems but they don't you know, like, like, something like Fight with Fire relies on there being a specific board state for it to be good against Blue-White. And I don't think that's the direction that you want to be taking with your with your sideboard cards, especially. Yeah. So, But yeah, have you got... What's your uh, tournament schedule look like coming up? So this weekend, I'm heading up to Baltimore to team with Todd Stevens and Jody Keith. Um, Ooh, that's exciting. I think that I'm going to be playing Standard then. And then i'm not really sure what's happening after that so uh <laughs> well, I, I guess we would just kind of play it for by year from there cool cool best of luck i hope that you figure this out and 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 just absolutely crush standards so we can we can feel like Fingers geniuses <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've got yeah a few things i'm working on i think i've got pretty high hopes for so it's good yeah yeah um well, I will feel a little warm in my heart if you guys top 8 and I see like three crushing canopies in your sideboard. That would that would definitely be a be a rewarding feeling. Um I am headed to Paris this weekend for Eternal Weekend, which is a little a little scary. I I am not, you know, very experienced at Legacy. I've played many leagues now. With turbo depths the deck that i'm planning to play so i feel relatively comfortable like my opponent plays a land plays a spell i i usually like understand what i need to do from there on I'll, I'll know what i'm playing against that sort of thing but i'm certainly no you know legacy expert or anything like that um so i'm gonna head to paris mostly to see paris more than more than to play in uh, eternal weekend but then gonna head to Birmingham after that for the double GP weekend, gonna test my legacy skills again, and then if they if they don't work out, then then play some standard. Nice. Yeah, I mean I think that you should have a pretty good, pretty fun weekend in Paris, so it should be good. I I can't imagine not. I, I have a friend <laughs> there who I'm gonna meet up with and Perfect. yeah, should be should be good. Perfect. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um Oh yeah, just didn't do it at the beginning of the episode should probably do it now just want to make sure to thank our patrons thank you guys so much for continuing to support us uh if any of you other listeners out there would be interested in becoming a patron please feel free hit us up at patreon.com slash mtggrindcast um you can also just find us on the internet at mtggrindcast.com or on twitter i am tweeting things at at mtggrindcast.com underscore grindcast and collins is also out there on twitter at collins mullen yeah thank you guys so much for listening and i hope you have a great week peace